welcome back to the Thrillers by the Book Club podcast season two. We are so excited to have you. Hello, I'm Olivia and that's Chelsea and we are thrilled to have you here today to talk about thrillers. And we're back. We took a little break so we could do stuff, you know, normal day job stuff. But now we're back with season two. We're so excited. It's December, probably one of the best months, I would say. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'm biased. (laughs) Yes, super excited. Um, December is a really good month, I have to tell you, for thrillers that are coming out. We'll talk about it more on day when we get to that part. But like, there are so many books. In fact, Chelsea, one book that we're going to be talking about that's coming out next week, we have the author here for what? We do. Oh my what? gosh, who is it? It is Tessa Wigert. Hello, Tessa. Hi. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited. I can't believe I get to help kick off season two. That's amazing. Thank you so so much for all of your support. You've been such a great um, support for the podcast. Love it. And it's wonderful because we love your books. So that's so great to hear. I mean, you too. I have been following you for a long time on Instagram and I really respect your taste in thrillers and mysteries. And so to hear that, I will take that as a huge compliment. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> oh well, it is. Yeah. It is. I we mean, love them. I remember. So Chelsea was saying, I think it was ep- episode one. She was like, yes, I love the Shana Merchant series. And so I was oh, like, okay, gosh. well, let me start reading. And then, hello, now I'm like obsessed. So Okay. So it. even we were, just got back from vacation. We went to Egypt. Yes. And my mom was reading the first one on the Nile River sitting there. And I was like, this is just bringing me so much joy right now. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how much joy it brought me because you sent me a picture of her sitting there reading <laughs> the book in Egypt. It was so fantastic. I think, I mean, that has to be the most far-flung location that I've heard of someone reading the book, at least, or at least seeing a photo at this point. So that was fantastic. (laughs) I love that. I'll have to tell her that. That will make her so happy. She was like, do you have the next one? And I was like, I do, Mom. I really do. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, I actually, since yesterday, you know, we always record these a little bit early for our listeners, but yesterday was Small Business Saturday. So I went to my indie bookstore and I was able to pick up the second one, The uh, the Dead Season. I was so excited. Yes. Gosh, I love that. Yes, Small Business Saturday is that's the time, right? That's the time yes. to go do all your holiday shopping to to mm-hmm. support the indie books. I mean, you really obviously want to support the indie bookstores every day, but that all is the, the day to go hog wild when it comes to shopping, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was like I got to get over there and then I was looking in their thriller section and it's the same place I bought the first one and I was like they've got the second one. Yes. Oh, I'm so I glad love to hear that. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, so how, how was your, how was your guys' holiday? I mean, sorry, I'm going to just like back up for one second. I'm sorry, Chelsea, you went to Egypt. Can we just talk about that real super quick? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we can talk about it. In fact, so after I was done travel season for work, uh, like three days later, my family planned a trip for 10 days to Egypt. Um, so that was our pre Thanksgiving family time that we try to have. Um, yeah, it was pretty great. It was the only downside I would say is like the 20 plus hours of traveling. I was like, it's just time doesn't mean anything to me anymore. We've been flying for like a full day. I think I remember seeing your post that you were like 36 hours in of like coming home or something and then, oh, and you lost all your bags? Oh no, really? I did, I did. So somehow we get to the airport in Cairo and every single person's bag comes off and I'm like, um, 
guys <laughs> and they were like oh we couldn't fit all the bags in in london and so we just took some off and i was like but oh what my whole family's made it and not mine <laughs> wait they just took some off like that literally they were that, like oh okay. the weight didn't match so we left it and i'm like oh, oh, oh but i need it though <laughs> oh my gosh what did you end up having to do so I waited the next day and the people who were leaving our tour were like, oh, don't worry, we'll go get it for you. And then like 20 hours later, they still had not gotten to get it for me. And they were like, oh, I'm pretty sure. I was like, okay, whatever. So me and my dad took a Uber to the Cairo airport in the middle of the night and we paid the security guy to go get it for us. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. I feel like you could write a thriller right there about that, that whole experience. That is a thriller. That, <laughs> that is. is a great concept, I think, <laughs> or at least oh, yeah. starting point. The Uber to the airport in the middle of the night to like go get a, a suitcase, but really, maybe this Uber driver just takes off. I mean, oh, it could so, go in so many different directions. So many different ways. <laughs> so many different ways. You get Same stuck thing. in the airport. Like, oh, gosh. Let's yeah, see which no. thriller writer who's listening calls dibs on that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone can have it. I'll tell you more about my experience. Don't worry. <laughs> but no, it was a lot of fun. So I got it back like two days later and the rest of the trip was amazing. So no, it was great. And you got I a mean, good story out of it, right? Right. A hundred percent. There is yeah. that. <laughs> um, I loved that. I think I told you this too, like via text, but I've always said if I was going to do Egypt, I would do exactly what you guys did. I would do a day in Cairo and then mm-hmm. do a river cruise down the Nile. I just think it seems like the best way to see as much of the country as you can. Seems yeah. Awesome. No, I agree. It gets you very quickly from one side to the other side, which is nice. You know, you can go all up the Nile, I guess, <laughs> not down, <laughs> but you get to do so much and you start, go all the way and then you just can see a lot of the country that I think would take forever via like flight or car or whatever so that was really nice to be able to see like all parts of the country so i can't be the only person thinking this right now but chelsea did you before you left read or watch death on the nile (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm happy you asked i didn't take it with me but i read and watched it like the week before we left so that's amazing that's perfect you have to do it yeah I did. And I saw another girl there who was reading it, like, right of when we passed. I was like, oh, my God. I love this. <laughs> That's so perfect. I, I honestly feel, and I think a lot of readers feel this way, too, um, it, there's nothing like the experience of reading a book that's set somewhere where you happen to be, you know? Even if yeah. it's not the specific location, if you're going on vacation to the Caribbean, you try to bring a book that's set somewhere tropical, right? I mean, it's just, yes. it's great to have that that synergy or whatever with the atmosphere. I totally really agree. And th- that's like, um, so right now, because it's, you know, getting into winter, all of the wintry reads, like this is such yes. a great time for all of those. They kind of get saved until I'm like, okay, we need to have all the snow, all the storms <laughs> are going to happen yes. in December. 100%. <laughs> so the funny thing about that is, this book of mine, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute, um, is set in the middle of summer. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> true. True. So the, the last time I had a book come out in December, it was actually a wintry book. That was the, the dead season. Um, okay. But this one is set in the summer. So for when people need a little break from the cold or it's go. like the dead of winter and they really want an escape, that's the time to pick it up, I guess. Okay. <laughs> but like it's it. still, I still think that it feels, even though it's set in the summer, it feels chilly and like claustrophobic you yeah, know I, I I see what you're saying yeah totally I mean 
with thrillers, that's what you want, I think, with crime mm-hmm. fiction is that sense of just chills running up and down your spine the whole entire time, right? So regardless of when it's set, I think you come away with a sense of feeling those like creepy crawlies <laughs> that you want from a, from a crime read, right? Yeah, most Agreed. definitely. Um, and I mean, the cover gives it still that very atmospheric vibe. Yes, like, yes, you know, that's great. true. That's yeah, so it's a, it's a great time for it to be coming out. Well, speaking of which, Tessa, you have a you have a couple books that are coming out in the next like well by the time listeners are listening to this, it's Pub Day, it's December sixth. Um, but you had another book that came out, or at least another version, right? Yes. So the paperback of Dead Wind um, came out on November 29th in North America. It was already out in the UK, but now it's out in North America too. Um, And yeah, so that was published earlier this year in a strange twist of fate. I actually had two new books come out this year. Dead Wind came out in April and then The Kind to Kill today on the same. Yay! Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Because I was like, she did like four books in two years. That's insane. It's, that's like, that's nuts. But yeah. It was really strange. I mean, the whole, I don't think this is a tip. I know this is not a typical publishing schedule. I mean, a lot of, a lot of publishers just do a book a year for authors, right? But Mm -hmm. for various reasons, the first time around, it had a lot to do with the pandemic. My publisher put out the first two books in 2020, like eight or nine months apart, um, just to kind of try to hook people on the series because it was a brand new series and you know there was all kinds of craziness going on with people were I guess at the time the pandemic had a lot of people were reading but but they were really going to kind of backlist um titles right that they felt comfortable with and and that they knew they were going to get like a good experience out of rather than maybe taking a risk on a new debut so um so yeah the first two books ended up coming out both in 2020 and now these two books are out together in 2022. So I don't know what's going to happen from here. I, I definitely have a book coming out. We're going to get another two or three, who knows, maybe four. Like why not just up the ante? I do. Okay. I definitely have one coming out for sure in 2023, but just one oh. so far that I know of. Okay. okay. So yeah. Books coming out together though. That is exactly how it worked for me personally. I was like, okay, this is so good. I can't wait for the next one. And then it was out so soon. And it was just such an exciting feeling like, okay, but where's the next one? And where's the next one? Like you just want them all to come out so quickly. It like gets you hooked. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the idea, right? That's the thinking behind it all is with a series you really, people don't want to wait. And there is this sense, I think increasingly of we all want this kind of instant gratification. We're so mm-hmm. used to it with streaming video and everything else, right? And Amazon, just like everything at the click of a button. So I think with series, there's something to be said for trying to condense that publishing schedule a little bit and and not make people wait quite so long because it's a very crowded kind of competitive marketplace, mm-hmm. which is funny to say because I do not think of any of the other thriller and mystery writers that I know or even, you know, that are out there as competitors in in any way, shape, or form, I feel like there's this total sense of community and everybody oh, yeah. is just like working so hard to lift each other up and collaborate yeah. and everything. But, you know, for readers, there are a lot of books on the shelves. And if you're mm-hmm. trying to promote a series, it's kind of nice to to have the books come out, you know, more in short order so that readers don't have to wait quite so long in between. Yeah. Yes. No, Thank I you definitely... so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> She loves it. She loves it. I'm a fan. Um, I'm a big fan. I'll try to keep it going. (laughs) So, well, speaking of that, did you know you wanted to do a series like off the bat? What made you decide to do? Were you going to do a police procedural? Like, 
kind of where did Shana come from? Um, yeah, so so funny to ask that question because no and no, kind of no across the board. I kind of didn't have a plan at all when I wrote Death in the Family, other than the fact that I was going to write a mystery. I had been writing, I had gotten an agent about five years before I wrote Death in the Family, and I had been writing wow. these kind of Michael Crichton-esque thrillers um. that I think would have done quite well in the 90s, but there really wasn't a market for those types of books anymore at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it could be, it's kind of cyclical, things like that, trends. And so it might come back around again. But after a few years of writing those, my agent and I had kind of like a heart to heart. And she said, look, I don't know if these are going to be the books that you're going to debut with. Do you have, is there another genre that you would want to try writing? And I said, yeah, you know, I've always loved mysteries. They're kind of my favorite book to read, honestly, even though I was writing these thrillers. And I also realized all the thrillers I had written had kind of a mystery component to them anyway. So it seemed like the natural next step. Yeah. So I kind of stepped back and thought, well, if I'm going to write a mystery, what do I want it to be? I wanted it to be like an homage to all the really classic (laughs) golden age detective stories that I love, like the Agatha Christie, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and I had just, the timing was funny because right around that same time I had reread and then there were none just kind of, Of course, you know, because I was interested in rereading it. It had been a long time. I think maybe my daughter who was maybe like a preteen at that point, um, wanted to read it. And I was kind of vetting it first to see if it was appropriate for her, reminding myself. Um, And my kids were really into the game Clue, the board game Clue. So all of those things, right, like kind of came together. And I was sitting there at my laptop going, well, I'm going to write a modern take on a locked room mystery. And I had all this experience spending time in the Thousand Islands in upstate New York, because my husband's family had had a place there for years and years. And it was actually the very first place that I met his family was on. So for those of you who have read Death in the Family, for those who have read it, um, part of the story is this, this woman and her boyfriend come to the island, and it's her boyfriend's family's island, and she's meeting that family for the first time. And, you know, they want to build this future together. And she's really nervous being there on this kind of isolated island with the family. That's exactly the experience that I had meeting my husband's family for the first time. Their family has a little three acre island. It's just their house on the island. It's fairly remote. You have to take a, there's no bridge or anything. You have to take a boat to get there. And I didn't know how to drive a boat at the time. And I was there with, you know, my boyfriend who we'd only been dating for a few months. So I was still getting to know him. And here I am on this island with this family. Oh my gosh. And so I guess because I'm kind of like an anxious personality, which I think is true of of a lot of thriller writers, at least many that I have met. And I think a lot of us are thriller writers because writing, you know, our anxieties down on the page kind of helps us to deal with them to some extent. But uh, the whole time that I was there, I mean, the family was lovely and it all worked out great, obviously, because we're married now. We've been married for almost 20 years. (laughs) But the whole time that I was there, I kept thinking, what if there's an emergency? How am I going to, you know, who would come to help us? Would it be the Coast right. Guard? Like, where are the police? How far away are the police? You know, I had no <laughs> idea. Would they come in a helicopter or boat? I mean, honestly, I had no clue. And really, they didn't either because fortunately, there hadn't been a major emergency on the island in all the years they had owned it. However, that all got me thinking. So this was years before I sat down to write Death in the Family. But then in that moment, I remembered that experience and the feeling of, you know, claustrophobia, as someone mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. right? Like that. And that's what you want from a locked room mystery, I think. So all of that kind of converged to create this story. And I... 
wanted it to read a, a bit more like a thriller too. And so I incorporated this backstory with Shana mm-hmm. investigating the serial killer and her, there was this abduction experience that she had in New York. And that was what compelled her to move to the Thousand Islands in the first place. And then over the course of the series, the serial killer that she was hunting who abducted her follows her and continues to kind of harass her. And there's this whole history there between them. But Death in the Family was intended to be a standalone. It wasn't going to be a series at all. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't until an editor expressed interest and said, would you be interested in writing a second book and making it a series that I went, huh, you know, I actually did lay the groundwork for that with this whole backstory with Shana and the serial killer, right? And I hint throughout Death in the Family that Shana has this personal history with the serial killer, Blake Bram. And Wait, were you just never going to tell us anything? Were you just going (laughs) to be like, um, well, bye guys. So, (laughs) the answer is yes. Well, yeah. The answer is kind of sort of. I mean, I wasn't going to definitely wasn't going to reveal everything, but I had a different ending when it was a standalone for sure. A lot of okay. what I was holding, a lot of what I hold close to the vest in in Death in the Family at the end that became, you know, in this current version, that became the beginning of the second book, but in the original version, I did explain a lot more about their their relationship and their history. Um but there were a lot of things that I have since gone back to Death in the Family to pull from and that I fleshed out in 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 you know, following books that, yeah, the, those those aspects of the story would not have been explored, of course, if it was just a standalone. So it was nice that I got to do that. Yes. That was well, cool. <laughs> developed and, into something like so unique and interesting and like reading it develop, I thought was very intriguing. And so I can't imagine not having that chance. That would be so sad. Yeah, for sure. Especially, um, especially because it, it seems like there was a lot of content there to plumb, you know, I mean, I just mm-hmm. keep with every, with every next book, I keep going back to the beginning and looking to see which characters I can maybe, you know, latch on to, to, to develop a little bit more. And it's fun because I didn't know when I was writing that first book that I was going to create this whole universe of people that later on have their own individual stories. None of that existed, right, with the first book or even really with the second book. But now with the third Deadwind and now with The Kind to Kill, I get to go back. Like in Deadwind, the the bartender who's mentioned very briefly in Death in the Family plays a pretty big role. Um, so yeah, it's fun to be able to go back and, and even the, the kind of assistant investigators that Shana Merchant as the senior investigator works with, they yeah. have played a much bigger role, especially one of them in the kind to kill was really a, a primary character. So yeah, I've gotten to go back and, um, and dig around a little and kind of look for those nuggets of potential that I didn't know were, I didn't know I was planting them. It wasn't intentional, but now, you know, in retrospect, <laughs> actually Good maybe thing. it was subconscious, who knows? Hopefully I had some kind of master plan, even if I'm not aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out for the reader for sure. So well, that's, that's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I we, mean, we had no idea. <laughs> that's going to be so fun too, to be like, okay, I'm, because when you're writing a book, you're like, you get to know the character like you're really spending a lot of time with that character maybe one or two of them um but then like getting to go back and like have deeper relationship or just deeper understanding of how the character acts and 
how their friends act and all of these different things. I feel like that seems like very fun as part of being in a series where you can really dive in more with your characters. Yeah, definitely. And and I also look at it from Shayna's point of view and what kind of relationship she would have with them and what kind of experiences would then develop as as, you know, as a result of that relationship. So looking at every individual character and going, well, who what potential situation could she get in with this person? And also is that person, I mean, I definitely look at each character and, and ask myself, is that someone who warrants further exploration because Mm. some of the characters I mean there are always these kind of secondary characters that serve a purpose they all should serve a purpose but some of them you know there isn't really enough there and I probably could develop it but instead what ends up happening is there are a few characters that really just jump out at me as having so much more potential than others that those are the ones that I end up you know running with kind of when I when I work on these next books Sure. Do your characters, do they like come to you like they're coming to you fully formed? Do you feel like you have to kind of, you have an idea of what a character should be and what they would be, how they'd be behaving, but you've kind of got to like wrestle them into existence or how does that work for you? Yeah, good question. Um, yes, but I would also say that they surprise me a lot of the time. I often think I know exactly what they would say and do, and then I get it down on the page and it just doesn't feel right. And so I go back and revise it, or I think about, I often think about people in my own life or people that I've met and kind of borrow characteristics from them. So I, when I was in, um, I did a communications degree in college in Montreal, and uh, I had this English teacher. It was, you know, communications. You have like a million different courses. It was marketing. Yeah. It was English. Mm-hmm. It was PR, whatever. Sure. And um, in, in this English class uh, where we were talking about script writing, I had this teacher who encouraged us all to have a notebook with us, us at all times and just write down little, you know, quirks that we saw in people who were sitting across from us on the bus or just little, oh, sni- I love right? Like little snippets mm-hmm. of conversation that we overheard oh that might inspire something. So I have done that ever since now. I don't keep a notebook. I just email it to myself um, so that I have, you know, everything in my inbox and kind of sort through it later on when I need it. But if a character is not really coming to life the way I want it to or isn't kind of as colorful as I need them to be, I'll often go back to this whole like repository of just little snippets from real life conversations and people and see if I can apply some of those traits if it if it seems to make sense to some of the characters that I'm working on. And then I think that, you know, it's fun for me because then it's like I'm putting a part of my own life into the story and my yeah. own past experience because when I read those characters, of course, I remember some of those little <laughs> moments. <laughs> That's so smart because it's also like things that people would normally do. It's super relatable things, you know, but maybe not the most obvious. But something that you've seen, so you're like, this is definitely a thing that happens, just maybe not all the time to everybody. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so now it's come to the point where a lot of my friends know that I do this. So they'll come to me and say things like, oh, I saw this guy um, in this, you know, on the train or in the city or whatever, doing this crazy thing. Or there was this woman and she had this crazy hair. And yeah, like, (laughs) can you use it? You know, everyone's always giving me these ideas. Can you use this in one of the books? Which is fantastic because I keep every single one of those because I hope that I will be able to use them all at some point. I mean, some of them, you know, maybe I won't, but it's nice to it feels like there's this whole community of like helpers rallying around to and I think everyone wants to have like a hand in the next story too you know because my friends and family are all of course so close to them and they to the stories and to the series and they a lot of them are my beta readers so 
they yeah. help out. So do, they help out however they can. Do you ever name characters after somebody that you know? Um, I have not done that intentionally, and I mm-hmm. sometimes worry that I will do that subconsciously, yeah. and then someone will come out of the woodwork and go, "That's my, you know, a high school friend," and go, "That's my exact <laughs> daughter's name," and I, and I worry that I saw it on Facebook or something like that, and it's just like lodged in my memory, and then I accidentally yeah. will use it. So I change. That has happened once or twice, actually, where I, I didn't think of it at the time. I picked a character name, and then in kind of final edits, I realized, oh, that's, I really cannot, you know, especially if the character has done something criminal, it's not a deal, and it's like someone's son, you know, so I do have to make, <laughs> I do have to You're make like changes kids, sometimes. Kids. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I never have, but, um, but I definitely have based at least certain aspects of characters on people that I new growing up, Mm -hmm. growing up or had, you know, encountered at some point in my life, but more just experiences that I had with them than the actual person themselves, I would say. Right. Do you think that, uh, how how many books do you think you're going to have in this series? Oh my gosh. Um, I really don't know, but I can say for sure there will be five because the fifth one is going to, it's slated to come out in December of 2023. So a full year after The Kind to Kill. I don't know. I mean, I will keep writing them as long as my publisher wants to keep publishing them and readers want to keep reading them, I guess. I mean, I might come to a point where I feel like Shana's story has really been told every Mm -hmm. which way. And I I definitely don't want to have a jump the shark moment or write a series that then kind of fizzles out. You know, I would rather go out kind of on top with a lot of still energy around the series than than have it fizzle out. So we'll see. I I definitely have a a little glimmer of an idea for a sixth book that I might develop and explore and have just discussions about. So we'll see. Um, I also have a standalone that I've been working on. So we'll see what happens there. It's still kind of in the works, but um, totally unrelated to the Shana stuff, but kind of like a a thriller. Still a thriller. Yeah. Less, a little bit less of a, with a a little less of a police procedural angle, I would say, and a little bit more of a thriller Mm. mystery, noir crime angle to it. So, yeah, who knows? I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm just along for the ride. You know, I'll just, I'll just do whatever. (laughs) Like I'm up for anything. (laughs) I mean, I don't blame you. I mean, you're getting to live the dream right now, which is so incredible. You're getting to tell stories, put together characters, make uh, madness happen on the page. And it's like such a fun thing to do. I, if yeah. I were you, I'd be doing the same thing of like, yeah, as long as you want me to write these, I will be writing <laughs> totally, whatever you need. Totally, right? I mean, it is it's, it is the dream in the sense that for so many years, I just was all those years that I was writing those thrillers, but even way before that, when I was, you know, a teenager writing short stories and, and short fiction, and just to just to know that people are actually reading these books now is pretty fantastic. It's, it's definitely a dream come true in that respect. So yeah. have you always imagined or always known that you were going to be a writer? I knew that I would be a writer in some capacity. I didn't know for sure that it would be fiction. I always kind of dreamed of that. But um, but yeah, I wrote all these short stories growing up. And I never really had an idea that I felt like had enough meat to it to turn it into a novel. Um, and then when I was in my 30s, and I had two little kids, I think my son was only who's the youngest of my kids was only nine months old. So my daughter would have been around two or two and a half. I 
went through this period of time where I just, I still was writing. I've been, I worked as a journalist for a lot of years, a freelance journalist, and I did a lot of marketing strategy and copywriting and ad copywriting and stuff like that. So I was still kind of working on that on the side, kind of part-time with the little kids at home, but I felt all of a sudden like I needed some kind of creative outlet. And so that was Mm -hmm. the point at which I decided I'm just going to try it. I'll try to write a novel. I had this idea that I thought might work out. Um, so I just, you know, it was something that I could do in my free time. Not that there is much free time when you have kids <laughs> that age, but I could do it. You know, I thought about it all the time. Like when I was walking my kids in the stroller around the block or whatever, I'd start to kind of work on plotting. And then any little free moment that I could snatch, I would sit down and write. And it took about a year to write that book. And that was the book that got me my agent. And I could mm-hmm. kind of consider it a practice book. I mean, I could maybe down the line, again, if that style of book, if there's an interest in that style of book, again, I would maybe revisit it. But it definitely served its purpose by helping me get an agent and then kind of teaching me how to write a novel, really. I mean, I rewrote it so many times after that first year as we were trying to get it published. So Mm -hmm. it kind of, you know, it definitely helped me get to the point that I'm at now in terms of just understanding even the structure of a novel and and Mm -hmm. figuring out my style, right? Because that's so important for an author. And speaking of the kind of style, and you were saying when you go for walks, you'll like plot different things out. So are you, do you plot it all out before you write a single word? You have like a 200 page outline, which I heard an author say that recently. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's basically the book. Um, wow. or, not that I'm judging. I mean, it's amazing. Obviously, he's very yes. successful. But, or are you like, do you kind of figure it out as you go? Like, what's your. What's your preferred method that gives you the most joy? I am way too impatient to sit and plot. I all power to anyone who can do that. But the 200 page thing, I would lose my mind, I think, because I just I'm so excited about the actual sitting down and starting to write part of the process. And also my favorite part of the process is when the first draft is done and I get to go back and just make it better and, Mm -hmm. you know, connect subplots. And like, that's the part, the kind of fine tuning part is the part I like best. But you can't get to that part unless you sit down and write the first draft. So the plotting kind of feels like it gets in the way of me just sitting down and writing that first draft. So what I do Mm -hmm. is the bare minimum, which is like for me, (laughs) like a six page outline usually that kind of hits on what's going to happen in every chapter more or less. And often that will change as I start writing. Like this book that I'm writing now that I'm working on now, the one that comes out next year, I thought I knew exactly what it was going to be. And I only got maybe, I don't even, not, not even a hundred pages into the first draft before I decided I was going to pull in two totally separate pub, subplots, um, additional it. subplots that I wasn't even, you know, that hadn't even come to mind, but all of a sudden I'm writing and I'm going, yeah, I feel like there needs to be more to this story. And then I remembered that mm-hmm. I had had this other idea that I didn't know what to do with and didn't know if it would ever become a book. And so I was able to weave that in to the, to the plot. Cool. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. And I mean, that happens often. In fact, with the kind to kill, I changed who the killer was really at the 11th hour, like while I was going through the copy editing process. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah. All That's of a late. sudden <laughs> it was very, very late. And it was just a couple of days before, before, before that draft was due. And I, had been rereading it and I got to the end and I just felt like it was a little bit too predictable. But Mm -hmm. as I was reading it through, I also realized I had, I mean, with, with a mystery like this, of course, you're going to have lots of different characters who are, are credible suspects because that's what makes 
the story interesting for readers, right? Is it could be anyone, it could be any of these people. So, but there was one character in particular who I had kind of fleshed out, but there, I had held just enough back that I realized oh if gosh. I just added a little bit more to that character and like pulled back a little here and there, that it would make perfect sense for that person to be the killer. And so that's what I, and, and in fact, that did sort of happen with Death in the Family too. So okay. Tessa, I think you uh, you also do martial arts. Is oh, that yeah. true? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually just tested and got a new rank two weeks ago, week and a half ago. Okay. So it's Shaolin Kempo Karate. And I started doing it maybe five years ago or so, five or six years ago, because my kids both started doing it. And it seemed like, you know, they were getting to the age where they didn't want to spend as much time with me and they would rather just be with their friends. So I was like, uh-uh, I'm taking karate with you and you're going to like it. So I just started coming to their classes because it was like a mixed, you know, tween, teen, adult class. Okay. And um, and I really, really liked it. Like I, just the memorization aspect of it. I think like there's so much kind of choreography involved with the forms and there's so much to That's remember. That's so cool. Yeah. And so, you know, at some point when I was writing the dead season and I was actively doing karate, I came up with the idea of having Shana have this background and experience with karate too. So mm-hmm. in the dead season and then a little bit too in dead wind, you find out that she has also been studying Shaolin Kempo karate and it kind of comes into play um, a little bit in like during her investigation. And she's been, she's been ramping up, especially in the second book, the dead season, because she feels, you know, that there's going to be some kind of confrontation at some point with the serial killer who's kind of on the loose yeah. and following her now kind of stalking her mm-hmm. and uh, fixated on her. So, um, so that was great because I actually could go directly to my, I had two senseis at the time and I went to them and I kind of questioned them and interviewed them about the scene I was working on and they helped me kind of choreograph some self-defense moves that would make sense there so that it would seem oh, very realistic. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I still try to work some of it in here and there wherever I can. She's got, Shana's got her sensei in Watertown, Sam, that she goes to take classes with now and then. So it's it's been a fun thing of from my own life to work into the story now, you know. Here yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I think that's really useful. I mean, I think that's the reason why you see so many crime writers who have a background in forensics or, Mm -hmm. you know, police work or whatever, because it's really helpful. There's so much research involved with these books that any place, at least for me, any place where I can work in some kind of knowledge that I already possess, because especially with this, I mean, I don't have a background in police work at all. So I, you know, the procedure aspect of these books is what I have to spend the most time researching. And so Mm -hmm. that, and that's really time consuming because I really want to make it as authentic as possible. And I want the situations to be as genuine as they can possibly be. So I got really lucky with when I was writing Death in the Family, I approached the real life sheriff of Jefferson County where the the series is set. Um, And I really cool. Yeah, it was funny because I called up her office just very randomly. I was so intimidated, but I called up her (laughs) office. And it was like a She's so it turns out that, she, that her name is Colleen O'Neill, and she's the first. She was the first female elected sheriff in Woo-hoo! all of in all of New York State. So wow. I mean, how okay. amazing to be able to have this person be you know the, my resource for this, like yeah. my knowledge source. So she ended up really inspiring the character of of um, Maureen McIntyre, the sheriff in the books. 
And mm-hmm. she is also the first elected female sheriff. So, and it's been fun because Colleen reads all the books and then she emails Aww. me and she says, oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe, you know, I totally see this aspect of me in this, or this part of Aww. my history and this Aww. character. And so it's great. So I call her up constantly. She's so sweet about it. And she seems to have a good time with it because the fact of the matter is there is not much crime in the Thousand Islands. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I come to her with these like pretty elaborate crimes. And (laughs) (laughs) and she's like, how would I solve this? Hopefully I don't have to in real life. But exactly, (laughs) exactly. And sometimes she sometimes more recently, she especially with the kind to kill when I was researching that she had to say, look, I'll be honest with you, we haven't had a lot of serial killers up here. And I don't totally know. I don't totally know what we would do in this situation. So then when that happens, we brainstorm together and come up with the most likely scenario, you know, and, and I also have a few other um, Bureau of Criminal Investigation sources that I go to that also kind of work in that area or in upstate New York elsewhere. And so I'll go to them too, and just see if they have a different take on things. But honestly, the majority of the information I get is from her. And she's been such a lifesaver, because I could never have pulled any of this off without her knowledge. There's just no possible way. There's, this is stuff yeah. you can't find online. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like you definitely sound like you know all the details. It all sounds very realistic. I'm like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Forensic. thank you. That's yeah. great to hear. <laughs> thank you, Colleen. Yeah. yeah. Go Colleen. All right. Sheriff Colleen. Um, but I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that um, there's something about, unless you've experienced certain things, it's kind of hard to describe. So, yeah. like, have you done a police ride-along? I'm, I'm going to guess yes, but... I have not done a police you ride-along. Haven't? No, okay. I have not. And I have not even yet been inside the actual barracks where Shayna works. What I had, what? because at the time, I was writing these books, especially the first three, yeah. was all COVID time. So they right, wouldn't right. let anyone in anywhere. And as it is, you know, there's a lot of security and stuff. But I, yeah, there was no opportunity. And also, it's in the Thousand Islands, and I live in Connecticut. So during those, for sure, Mm -hmm. the 18 months, it was really hard for me to get up there. And the few times that I could do it, they still weren't really letting people in or they didn't feel comfortable. So that all, all of those descriptions are all based on very lengthy conversations that I had with Colleen right down. I mean, she bless her soul because I would even ask like what kind of coffee maker was in the break room (laughs) in the station. And um, we had all this back and forth about, it's not called a station up there. It's, it's called the barracks because there used to be actual barracks where the troopers would live above the, the station. So, you know, these little fascinating yeah. tidbits. I hope readers find them fascinating. I definitely do. That's the yeah, kind of stuff that I get from her and try to work into the book. It definitely puts you in the moment because you're like, this is all you feel yourself transported to a place that's very specific, yes. which I think is cool. It's not just your imagination, but it's a specific place described for the reader. Yeah, yeah, I like that as a reader too, it, re- learning about real locations. And it's a little bit tricky. I did a panel at, um, there's a, a crime conference in Boston called Crime Bake. That's fantastic for anyone who l- lives in that area and loves crime fiction. Um, it's every fall. And I was on a panel recently there about incorporating true crime, but also like real places into our books. And mm-hmm. You know, a lot of authors don't, they stay far away from that because, especially if there's a crime involved, I think for one thing, you don't want to offend anyone and you don't want to be liable either if you get something wrong. But there's also way more freedom and flexibility if you make something up or if you give your town a fictional name, even if it's really largely based on an actual town. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that with the, the, the whole series is set 
largely in Alexandria Bay, which is a real location. In fact, in The Kind to Kill, which has a lot to do around this um, pirate annual pirate street festival, pirate themed street festival. That is a real festival that occurs there. And I did that intentionally. And a lot of, there are a lot of real locations that I work in. And I did that intentionally because I just think it's so much fun for me as a reader when I, especially if I'm then traveling, I try to go, if there's a book I love, I try to go to those places and compare, you know, what it's like in real life. And that's what I wanted to do. And plus I knew the area so well, I know the area so well that it was nice to be able to work in some of the, the places that I really felt would be perfect, you know, for a particular scene, for example. I didn't want to, you know, why why reinvent the wheel if there's a perfect restaurant that even has like a great <laughs> river themed name? Because yes. a crime doesn't occur there, I'm going to work it in. If yeah. a crime occurs somewhere, then I definitely change the name and, and other right. characteristics about the location for sure. Just out of respect, yeah. you know, for the owners, for example. Well, I definitely agree with that. That's one of the things, um, I mean, you and I have chatted a little bit, but I, uh, on the, my work in progress that I'm working on, it's a fictional town only because the police are like very incompetent. Um, oh my goodness. But, and I was like, I don't like, I don't think I can be okay being like the Seattle PD just completely ignored. Well, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Right. So yeah. that was my like main reason for doing that. But I'm with you. I love I love when there's a book that's like, there are things that I recognize in it. Jennifer Hillier yeah. does this a lot in yes. the Seattle area. I'm always like, oh my God, yeah, I know where that is. I know where Cary Park is. I know where, you know, Cap Hill is. And yes. so there's, it's just so fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's I totally so, agree. Totally, yeah. But you're right. I mean, especially with the type of situation that you're describing, you do want to tread lightly, I think, as an author, because things can go awry. So I'll tell you a funny story about The Kind to Kill. The Part of it is set again, up in the Thousand Islands, but on an island, a real life island that's called Carlton Island. And Carlton Island has an insane mansion on it. Gorgeous. That used to be the most beautiful, you know, home that you've ever seen in your life in, I think it was around the twenties or mid twenties. And it's been sitting empty for years and years. I think it's been sitting empty for 71 years or it had been. Wow. So, and it's been for sale for many of those years for decades. It's been for sale, but in the meantime, it just, there's a lot of interesting history about it and, and how it changed hands. And then during the war, it was kind of, um, pillaged for like glass and stuff like that, that was needed elsewhere. So anyway, it just became very derelict over the years. And then no one wanted to buy it because it was so far gone, but it's sitting, sitting at the edge of this, of Carlton Island, just right on the water and these beautiful grounds. And you can still see the, the main shape of it and what it used to be. And it really was a beautiful grand home. So I had been, one thing I do do is boat and I do that a lot and I know how to drive a boat now. So that's helpful for writing certain <laughs> Love scenes. Love it. But Especially I, if there's like you needing to get off an island in an emergency. Exactly. <laughs> now I've got that covered, fortunately. It took a little while. It took about 20 years for me to figure that out, but now I know. So I had been bo- yeah. I had been boating around there and I saw this island in person and it just seemed like the perfect location. And so I turned that derelict house, that abandoned house into an inn in the book. So in the book, it's a running inn. The history of the house and the island is still the same, but now it's a working inn. So Uh, right before, I think about two weeks before the final deadline for the very last draft of the book, 
I was just going over it one more time, similar actually to what happened with me changing the characters was after I changed the killer in this book. It's just when I actually, now that I think about it, just when I thought I was out of the woods with this book, (laughs) all of a sudden I went online to just check one more fact about Carlton Island. And I saw that two weeks prior, someone had bought this house that sat empty for 71 years. And no way. But they're turning it into an inn. No. no. <laughs> yes. I was so floored. There was such a kind of mad panic. And my agent and my publisher, all of us going, what are we going to do? What if, because, you know, I mean, that that inn plays yeah. a really big role in the book. And, and if this, and I call it Carlton Island. And if this person who bought the inn doesn't like the fact that it's a plays such a primary role in this story, which is a crime story. I, you know, I don't want to put that on him. Like this is his business for one thing. And I hope that when he finds out he will, you know, first of all, it's going to take years for this thing to be developed, but I hope that when he finds out, he'll just get a kick out of it and maybe even yeah. sell the book in his gift shop. I in would his think inn. so. <laughs> That's what I would be like. Yeah. How about, you know, we sell some of these books here. It's going to be, people are going to love the lore. Maybe it'll become a tourist attraction if all goes well. There but go. <laughs> but just in case, I did change the name of the island to Car- to. uh, Carlson Island at the very last minute, just like a find and replace. And Carlton is now Carlson Island. And even though it's obviously Carlton Island, I just wanted to put a little bit of space and some separation between me and the new owner because you know if if I knew if that had been the case much earlier and I knew that someone had bought it I would never have chosen that house just because I don't you know I don't know this person and they may not love that they're beautiful, you know, soon to be beautiful in is featured in a book. So I just, yeah, sometimes things like that come out of the woodwork and you just have to roll with it, I guess, because you can't possibly know. I mean, right. These things are just, yeah, just impossible to, (laughs) impossible to predict. This one certainly was. Yeah. Especially for a place that's been on, honestly. Say again, Chelsea. I would feel like it's such an honor. I would just be like, oh my gosh, she's talking about my inn. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) Well, I hope that he feels that way too. I just think it's the weirdest case of like life imitating art, even though this book is not even out yet. And of course he didn't know that this was happening, but it's just the weirdest coincidence that all of a sudden after all these years, decades for sale, yeah, that this is the way the timing works out. It's it's kind of funny. When you were describing it, my first thought was, gosh, I hope somebody really buys it and turns it into an inn. And then yes, right? <laughs> turns out they had, but I meant after the book was out, like inspired <laughs> by the book. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, speaking of A Time to Kill, uh, or the, excuse me, The Kind to Kill, I, I know the actual name, The Kind to Kill, <laughs> um, we, we let's talk about pub day. So today is December 6th. Your book is yes. out today. You want to tell yeah. us about it, what it's about? Yes, sure. Yeah. I guess I've hinted about it a little bit along the way, but um, yeah. So at this point in the series, this is definitely part of the series and it's the fourth book in the series, but it can be read as a standalone. I think actually out of all of the books, this is a really good entry point for the series if you haven't started at the beginning, because okay. there is kind of a, um, a lot of backstory that happens referencing stuff that went down in the very first book death in the family. So in this book, um, let me try to do this without spoilers because it's a little tricky, but in this book, 
Shayna's, so at some point in the series, you find out, and I, I mentioned this earlier, that Shayna has a very um, personal history with the serial killer, Blake Bram, mm-hmm. that she's been hunting for all of this time, all these years at this point. So at this point, with the, with the kind to kill, um, that information, the relationship between them and the, the history between them is public. It's out in the open, finally. And this has been a secret that she's been keeping for many, many years as she investigates him, um, partly because she believes that she's best equipped to hunt him down as someone who knew him in the past, but also because she kind of fears for her family and she really wants to understand why he's doing what he's doing and be kind of like, the first one to interact with him and also kind of in person, because to this point, it's been kind of a cat and mouse game. But she also really wants to be the one to apprehend him because of this history between them. So um, right or wrong, she's held this secret, the secret uh, close all these years. And now it's out. And she's really dealing with the fallout of that, both personally and professionally, because now her family knows, you know, who this person is, someone close to them as well, and what he's done. And at the same time that all of this is going on, and she's really starting to feel like a pariah in her community. Um, and people also in the community are starting to doubt her ability to work as, a, as an investigator because especially now that they know her relationship to the serial killer that she failed really for years and years to apprehend. So on top of all of this going on, a tourist goes missing during Pirate Days, which is that street festival in Alexandria Bay. So she is dealing with this case. And as she and her partner, Tim Wellington, continue to investigate, it becomes clear that this may be a copycat killing, that this may be a copycat Mm. crime. So as the person who knows Blake Bram the best, she, of course, is very involved in trying to figure this out. And over the course of the book, you find out that whoever is doing the killing knows a lot about Bram's past crimes, way more than they really should be able to know. So she really finds herself in this uh, predicament of trying to, you know, use all the knowledge that she has gleaned about him and his crimes over the years, while also working very quickly to apprehend this killer, because here they are in the middle of this very popular, very crowded festival that draws a thousand tourists to this tiny little town every year. And she's worried that whoever it may be may kill again. Okay. So excited. Oh my gosh. You guys. <laughs> it's, so good. it's so good. I will say I already read it. And so okay. I'm a little biased. Loved it. So good. Oh, pirate thank days you. Such, I like, well, I was obsessed with the pirate days idea. I'm like, why, okay, first of all, how do I get to be a pirate? Immediately. <laughs> like, I just wanted to go and get my emergency eye patch and be like, I'm ready. I'm ready for this event. Well, it's next so August, fun. just head on over because they have it every single year and it is unbelievable. I was there just this last year and it was, it's just, it's quite the scene. You cannot imagine. Perfect. I'm, I'm on my way. That sounds amazing. I can't wait. Everybody that, loves a pirate, right? I mean, who I doesn't? So. Right? Who doesn't? Well, I'm very excited for this book. I can't wait. I have a copy here. I cannot wait to get to it. And it is out today, December 6th. So get your hands on this book, friends, because you don't want to miss what is happening with Shana Merchant. Well, I'm really thrilled that you guys could help celebrate with me. This is a really awesome way to celebrate. (laughs) Yes. Do you have like a a ritual or something you do when your books come out? Yeah. So always on the pub day with all of the books so far, um, I have an amazing local indie bookstore called Barrett Bookstore where I live in Connecticut. And so they do the launch event. So this year, because I already had a book come out in April, which was just 
you know, me alone at the bookstore in, in conversation with one of the lovely booksellers. Um, this time it's going to be several thriller authors, all of whom also live around here in the area by me in Connecticut. So Wendy Walker, Lynn Constantine of Live Constantine fame and Kat Rosenfield are all going to be coming. Um, and Kat has a new book coming out in January called You Must Remember This. So we'll celebrate that and we'll celebrate all of their uh, recent accomplishments and upcoming books. And we'll talk thrillers and process and have some cocktails and just have a great time. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, yeah, that sounds so much fun. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Um, you are gonna have to get Wendy Walker to tell you everything about uh Iceland Noir. <laughs> oh, I know. I was following her stories on there and I was like, oh my God, it looks so amazing. Me too. I was completely living vicariously through her. It looked fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the hot springs and all of it, right. the geysers. I yeah, I will definitely be picking her brain and I hope that I can figure out a way to get to Iceland Noir myself because that looks pretty awesome. I it know, really does. What, it does. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, honestly. I've never heard of this and I really want to go. Oh, <laughs> to go yeah. right now. For sure. It looks fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Well, yep. Get your hands on uh, The Kind to Kill. It's out today. It's a mystery thriller, police procedural, and a really great series. So that is super exciting. We do have some other books that are coming out today. And, um, there are so many thrillers coming out today, December 6th, Yay! Yay! I, I was, which was ex- thrilling. I was like, oh my gosh, because sometimes I struggle to find like, yeah. oh, you know, there's not really that many, but this was not a problem. I cut a bunch of them. So I've got some updates to, to give on some of them. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the ones I've been most excited about coming out today and then um, a couple of others that maybe folks haven't heard about. So tell us. I'm ready. The pub day. The book that I am most excited about, I'm not going to lie, is The Last Imitation by Darcy Kane. Yes. Psychological yes. thriller. Mystery that is suspense. such a great book. I read that one early and it's fantastic. Oh, God. I'm so jealous. So um, she wrote um, uh, The Perfect Wife, A Pretty Little Wife. I, t- I talked about that in a previous episode. And oh, God, love love it. Love her. I'm just so excited. Okay. So a little bit about this, The Last Imitation. Over the last few years, prominent people, a retired diplomat, beloved basketball coach, the CEO of an empire, have died in a series of fluke accidents and shocking suicides. Oh, no. There's no apparent connection, no signs of foul play. Behind it all is a powerful group of women, the Sophie Foundation, who meet over wine and cheese and review files of men who behave very, very badly, and then head out <laughs> justice. I love it. Oh my it. god. I'm like is this I basically I'm like is this the collective meets they never learn? I'm so yes. here for this. Um Jessa Hall jumped at the mysterious and exclusive invitation to the secret club. The invite comes when she's at her lowest, aching for a way to take back control. After years of fighting and scratching to get ahead, she's ready for a chance to make the bad guys lose. Jessa soon realizes though that she's far uh, so just how far she's willing to go and how dangerous this game has become. Yeah, super excited about that one. Um, another one that I've been – I pre-order. I have pre-orders on both of those. Um, it's The Widowmaker by Hannah Morrissey. Yes, that yes. cover. Is that the cover with the right. key on it? With the key on it, yep. Oh, mm-hmm. That book it. is fantastic. I, I was lucky to blurb that one, and it is uh, excellent. And that is a very good wintry read as well because yes. it has, like, that winter setting, and it just chills nonstop. 
Well, and Black Harbor, if uh, her first book, um, Hello Transcriber, is set in Black Harbor as well. So, so it looks like these like mysteries are going to be here in this uh, this fictional town, which. I think it's the most atmospheric, like very like sad, but also creepy town. Uh, it's just so awesome. So the Widowmaker is a wealthy family shrouded in scandal, a detective tasked with solving an impossible cold case, and a woman with a dark past collide in this new Black Harbor mystery. Ever since business mogul Clive Reynolds disappeared 20 years ago, the name Reynolds has now become synonymous with murder and mystery. And now lured by a cryptic note, down on her luck photographer Morgan Morey returns home to Black Harbor and into the web of their family secrets and double lives. The same night she photographs the Reynolds holiday get-together, Morgan becomes witness to a homicide of a cop that triggers the discovery of a long-buried clue. Oh my gosh. It sounds sounds so so good. good. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, the we're talking about it's like an icy blue cover. It has like a skeleton key on it. Oh, yeah, so good. It gets you. It really gets you. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple more that are coming out. Um, These ones I hadn't heard of before, so I'm actually really excited about. The first is The Opportunist by Elise Friedman. This is a psychological thriller, domestic suspense. So briefly about this, when Alana Shropshire's rich 76-year-old father, Ed, starts dating Kelly, his 28-year-old nurse. Ooh. Yeah. Her we brothers. Know. <laughs> her <Hey> brothers. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> her brothers Teddy and Martin persuade Alana to help them make the gold digger go away. Kelly is more wily than they expected, and Alana gets trapped into an increasingly dangerous game. Um, so that is The Opportunist by That's Elise Friedman. Yep. Two more. Behind Closed Doors by Carol Weyer. Uh, that is a psychological thriller. When Stacy's ex-husband turns up on her doorstep begging her to help save his kidnapped 13-year-old daughter, Lyra, Lyra, the terror mm-hmm. is all too familiar. Stacy's own violent kidnapping 30 years ago was never solved. And while a severe case of amnesia spares her from recalling the specific horrors, she remembers enough. Desperate to find any link between Lyra's abduction and her own, Stacy forces herself to revisit her forgotten traumatic past for clues. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds good. It does. I mean, um, an ex-husband showing up to like help me like find my 13-year-old daughter. That sounds, oh gosh. Okay. (laughs) This last one is actually a re-release of a debut by, we all know and love, Mr. S.A. Cosby. Um, this is my darkest prayer which was his debut it's a thriller so whether it's working at his cousin's funeral home or tossing around the local riffraff at his favorite bar nathan waymaker is a man who knows how to handle the bodies a former marine and sheriff's deputy nathan has built a reputation in his small southern town as a man who can help when all other avenues have been exhausted When a beloved local minister is found dead, his parishioners ask Nathan to make sure the death isn't swept under the rug. What starts out as an easy payday soon descends into a maze of mayhem filled with, get this, wannabe gangsters, vicious crime lords, porn stars, crooked police officers, and a particularly treacherous preacher and his mysterious wife. 
that alone, like, that's all I need. And I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Count me in. <laughs> yeah. So Nathan must use all his varied skills and some of his wit to navigate the murky waters of small town corruption, even as dark secrets of his own threaten to come to the surface. That is My Darkest Prayer by S.A. Cosby. Wow. That's very exciting. Right? I mean, it was hard for me to narrow down what I was going to talk about. I was like, there's so many good ones. So congratulations to all of those authors and especially to Tessa for the release of The Kind of Kill today. I mean, I'm in such good company. I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm (laughs) going to be buying so many of these books for gifts for the holidays for sure. Oh, yes. (laughs) Perfect. Books are a perfect holiday gift. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, Chelsea, do you want to tell us about your book? I really do. Let me pull it up. So I am going to be talking about something kind of different. I know I usually focus on books that haven't come out yet. um, But today, that's not what's happening. I am going to be talking about The Maid by Nita Prose. Um, Yes. Um, And it came out January 4, 2022. So almost a year ago. And it was her debut book. Um, So I'm super excited to talk about it. Um, And it is the reason that it's not exactly like every book I've read is because it's more of a kind of cozy mystery. Um, The character, the main character is super likable. Um, Okay, I'll just get into it. So it's about Molly Gray that she is a maid at a very nice hotel. And she has some problems with like social skills um, with interpreting like what people mean and what they're trying to say. And so she has kind of a hard time at her job, but she tries really hard uh, working as a maid and her character kind of flaws um, pair with her obsessive, literally obsessive love of cleaning and proper etiquette. So she loves etiquette. She's like raised by her grandmother. She's very like cute, polite, but does have a couple social things where you're like, um, I don't think they meant to say that, but I don't know why you think that. So she's working in the hotel and one day she finds one of the guests dead, of course, as you do. And since Molly is As you do, because of course (laughs) you know of course you do. (laughs) Yeah. I'm usually running around hotels finding dead guests. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. You show up, you see the dead guests, you're like, cool, cool, cool. That's that's what's going on today. Normal. So the fact that she's a little unusual makes the police target her as their lead suspect. And she's kind of caught up in this whole police procedure. Um, and she has no idea how to get out of it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like Clue, um, but ha- really heartwarming. And it's kind of about Molly specifically and like who she is as a person and the way she connects to others, which I found very heartwarming and very cute. Um, I loved Molly as a character. I thought she was really fun to read about. She was down to earth. This book, I mean, you guys know, I do not like cozy mysteries. I'm sorry, but I hate them. But this is like, strong feels. Strong feels. We can't all like everything, okay? I'm very sorry. I'm sure that regular cozy mysteries are great. I don't know. I don't read them. If it's like pizza in the gelato room or whatever, you're like, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Um, anyway, but this was a good cozy because it was kind of. Room. <laughs> you know, this one 
was kind of more of like a locked room cozy mystery, which I thought was fun. Um, they had representation for autism, which was amazing the way that she wrote it. I think she did a really good job. And there's also an interesting narrative about what's right and wrong, how everyone's different, like what makes people unique. And I really liked that. I actually listened to this book on audio and the narrator did an amazing job. It was, I mean, it was a cozy, so it wasn't like the biggest shock reveal of your life, but it was very heartwarming and cute and fun to read. And I don't know what else you could want in a book, you know? So it was good. That's saying a lot coming from you because, I mean, this is – you definitely have strong opinions about Cozy. So to say, like, it was still cute and worthwhile and everything, I mean, that's – I think is a pretty good testament. Yeah. I know I posted a review of it on my Instagram a while ago when someone was like, wait, you liked this book? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I did. Thanks for asking. (laughs) I loved it. And they were, like, so shocked. They're like, it's so not stabby. And I'm like, I know. I know. (laughs) That's a good description. It is. It's true. It's not stabby. But don't you feel like it has this – it's like a heartwarming story, but, like, in a somewhat edgy way somehow. I told that's exactly it. It's heartwarming, but not in the most obvious way. Right. Where you're kind of like, you go around the circle to get to the heartwarming. Exactly. Which I really liked. Um, So the characters is Molly. She's the main character. She's a maid, has autism. She's really cute. Um, Charles Black is the guest that's found dead in his room. Um, And then the book also kind of talks a little bit about some of Molly's friends that she has a friend who works in the hotel named Juan Manuel. And also um, the bartender, Rodney. So it kind of talks about the people in the hotel and how they relate to Molly. And the setting is in the Regency Grand Hotel where she works. And for me, like I said, what worked was that it was a cozy mystery, but more interesting in a way because it had more dynamics instead of just like, Somebody stole the town's biggest meatball, and we don't know where it is. <laughs> Could be anywhere, but like maybe someone ate it. Oh, they did! Oh my gosh! Like that's a cozy. This one was a little bit more dynamic, in my opinion. <laughs> so loved it. Loved Molly. I think people of any age can enjoy this book. So if you're like a teen, a tween, it's still a good book to read. Um, it's not too graphic. Um, but what? There were some trigger warnings, which was like intense grief, drugs, domestic abuse, obviously murder. Um, And I think some of the characters did kind of come off as one dimensional because you didn't get to learn a ton about them, Mm -hmm. which kind of fits that more cozy setting. Um, And the ending as well was like very neatly wrapped up as a cozy is, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I was like, I would have preferred if it was more complex, but I still liked it. I still gave it four stars. And the books that were similar, I thought The Good Sister by Sally Hepworth was one that was very similar, um, as well as Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. That that was another similar book. Yeah, so it was good. I definitely recommend it. It was very cute. And it's a good book to have kind of on in the background as you're doing other things because you don't necessarily have to hear every word to hear like Mm -hmm. the heartwarming, comforting feeling of the book. That makes sense. Because sometimes when you're listening to a thriller, especially like a mystery thriller, it's you miss the details. And then you're like, wait, wait, what just happened? Yeah. When did that guy show up? Right? So I I can understand (laughs) Exactly. This one, you're like, oh, she's still cleaning. Oh, good. That was a close one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Tessa, do you want to tell us about your book choice? 
Sure. So I'm going to talk about um, a book that I read earlier this year, right before it came out. It came out, I think, in March. It's called The Secrets We Share, and it's by the wonderful Edwin Hill, who um, also writes a series of mysteries called the Hester Thursby series. But this is his first standalone, and it's a thriller. Um, It's been described as perfect for fans of Mary Kubica and Riley Sager. So it's truly a thriller. It has some police procedure elements to it too, which um, although it isn't kind of like a standard police procedural where you follow, you know, every part of the process, it does have some aspects of that um, for people who love that. And it is, um, it's about a couple of sisters, Natalie Kavanaugh and Glenn Abbott, and they couldn't be more different. They're grown adults and Natalie is a Boston cop. And Glenn Abbott is kind of a baking influencer. She has a baking blog. Um, She has a book that's about to come out. And she and her publicity team think that the book is going to make her a huge, huge star. And, you know, they really kind of clash in a lot of ways. But what makes their story really interesting is that they also have this traumatic past that they share. At one point, their their father was murdered and his body Mm. was discovered right behind their house in this wooded area behind their house. And they um, thought that they knew who the killer was. And all of a sudden, now that they're fully grown all these years later, this happened when they were quite young, um, they start to get, Glenn starts to get these kind of ominous messages hinting that someone is watching her and Mm. someone knows more about that crime than maybe the sisters do. So that's kind of the setup. Um, There's a lot of other really interesting twists. This is a book for for fans of twists. Like I cannot tell you how many times I went, oh my God. And honestly, (laughs) I mean, I remember when I reviewed this book on Goodreads, I remember writing something along the lines of, It's so hard for thriller writers, I think, to write twisty books that are successful these days because readers are so savvy. They have seen Mm -hmm. it all, right? I mean, (laughs) it's almost all been done before to some extent. So you really have to work at coming up with a a cool twist that isn't, that doesn't feel predictable, that doesn't feel out of left field, right? Because that's, that's the danger that, you know, no one wants to fall, no thriller writer wants to fall into is a twist that's a total duos ex machina thing where it could possibly happen. And it's just not satisfying for the reader, if that's the case. I felt like while the twist in this book was absolutely massive. I feel like Edwin did such a great job of pulling it off. I was fully convinced and I really just invested in these characters all the way through. So it's set again, it's set in Boston and in the suburbs of Boston, um, primarily these two sisters. uh, And then there's also um, a couple of secondary characters uh, from their lives. And you find out a lot more about their family as the story goes on, and even about their father and other people who they spent time with as kids who maybe, you know, come back in some way into their lives or maybe know more than you might think. And yeah, I mean, I did, there was nothing about this book that didn't work for me, honestly. I guess in terms of similar books, I would say it reminded me of like a Peter Swanson thriller mm, okay. or a um, Mary Kubica is a good example, but I, I don't know. I mean, I just definitely along the lines of Riley Sager too, because of the twists, mm-hmm. Um but something about this book also kind of reminded me of Jennifer Hillier's stories because this is a, this 
he really has a skill, Edwin Hill, at digging deeply into the characters and what motivates them and the kind of emotional investment that they have in whatever the crime is that they're, you know, involved in. And I feel like Jennifer Hillier does the same thing, right? Like her books are crime books, but they're so much more than mm-hmm. crime books. That's what oh, yeah. this mm-hmm. felt like for me as well. So, you know, I don't know. In terms of trigger warnings, there there is death because it's a thriller and a, a murder. Sure. Um, it's not super graphic, might be slightly disturbing to some because it's a family member, because it's the father who was killed. But other than that, I can't really think of any major trigger warnings. Um, Honestly, I mean, there's a little bit of a child in danger at some point, but I think that's pretty much it. Um, Well, it sounds so good. And it's funny because when you told us that you were going to do this book, I literally the night before had attended um, a Sisters in Crime was doing a, a webinar. Um, Hank Phillippe Ryan was running it, but Edwin Hill was the moderator. Oh, amazing! And, yeah, so I was like, oh, I've never heard of that. I've heard of him, and then I went and started looking, and I was like, oh, the secrets we share. So I downloaded it, and then the next day you were like, oh, this is the book I'm doing. I was perfect. Oh my gosh, <laughs> fantastic! Yeah, uh, I, I had no idea about should... any of it. So that's so exciting. It sounds so good. It's so good. I think everyone should read this book, honestly. And then once they do, they'll probably want to go back and get his mysteries in that series, the Hester Thursby series, because those are so fantastic too. And they also take place in Boston. And they also have, you know, that's a lot funny. of his books also have a lot of atmosphere, which I really appreciate. Like I, I really feel as a reader, I'm drawn to kind of more literary mysteries, I would say, mm-hmm. and or and thrillers. And this definitely falls into that category. Like there's a lot of layers to this story. I, I love, love it. That. You got me with twists on twists on twists. Nice. That was, <laughs> I'm ready. Yep. I'm yep. ready. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Olivia, what big book did you choose? I picked so like you, Chelsea, I went a little bit different um, than than the normal. I also got what would be considered a cozy. It is The Appeal by Janice Hallett. Okay. Um, yeah. Have you read it? No. No. Not okay. yet. I just I bought it either. in the mail. I'm oh, so okay. Excited. Well, I cannot wait to tell you guys all about it then. Um, so this book came out, it's like January 2021. I think that's when it came out. I bought it on um, Book Depository, which whereas you mm. say I get any kind of British, if the releases come out in the UK first. Um, or if there's like a cover I like, so I'll get it from there. So anyway, so I can't remember when. I knew it came out in the UK first. Anyway, point is, it's 432 pages. I didn't listen to this on audio, and I would not recommend it on audio, and only because of the way the book is written. So this book is entirely, the entire book is done through multimedia. So oh my goodness, wow. letters, emails, text messages, cool. um, posts, uh, Post-it notes, uh, all of these different things. So, and it's very, very fun. I actually ended up reading this yesterday and I read it like in six hours. It was very fast. Okay, here's my question super fast. Is every media in like a different handwriting or type or is it all the same? So like if someone wrote a post-it, is it in different handwriting? No, you can, yeah. Love it. And um, most of it's not handwritten. So, but yeah, it's, it's very clear. Like the emails will say from Martin uh, Hayward, subject, date, to, and then there's like the email and they sign off and stuff. So yeah, you can totally tell. So it's, it's really clear. That's why I was saying though, I think it would be easier to read this as a physical copy than the audio book, just because of the way that it's done. Um, 
but it's really good. So it's 432 pages, which is a chonker for a thriller. But that is a chonker. Of, but because of the way it's written, it actually like there's a lot of white space, especially like on the text messages pages and things like that. So it doesn't yeah. feel as long. This is definitely a mystery. This is not a thriller. It is a mystery. And oh my God, I loved it. Loved it. Okay. So it's a mystery to solve in a small town called Lockwood in the UK. Uh, it starts with the arrival of two secretive newcomers, Sam and Kel, and it ends with a tragic death. So this police, or excuse me, this um, law professor guy, his name is Roderick Tanner. He's assigned two grad students, Charlotte and Femi, to, to this case. Um, someone's already been sent to prison for the murder, but he suspects that they're innocent and that there are other secrets that are kind of going on. So throughout the story, there's this like amateur drama society that's putting on a play and raising money for a sick little girl. Um, and it's kind of a, a whodunit throughout. Um, I feel like I'm not going to explain this very well. Okay. So the Hayward family is an alpha family in this small town. They run the country club. They run this drama group. They're really rich. Um, and it starts out that they are casting people, players, in this play that they're doing. Um, and at the same time that they're doing the casting that's happening, they're dealing with some family issues. Their daughter, their, excuse me, their granddaughter, Poppy, has childhood cancer. So Aww. the community rallies around them and does a lot to fundraise, several hundred thousands of dollars, and then things really start to get interesting. So um, it's told from the way that it's it's done because it's all through multimedia. You're seeing like Femi and Charlotte are texting and they're saying, okay, did you read that part? Did you see this? So it like points out things that happen mm. in the mis in the mysteries, like in the, in the letters and in the emails and stuff. Um, Cause they're trying to solve like what happened through the content that they have. Um, so it's not like they're not going out interviewing people. They're right. just reading these things. So um it's so interesting. It has a huge cast of characters. The front of the book says one murder, 15 suspects. Can you uncover? Oh my the gosh. Truth? Wow. Yeah. So I'm telling like it is, it's like, it's large, um, but it's, they have some main characters that they really focus on. So there's Izzy or Isabel, who I would say is really the main character in this book. Um, and she is very, very attached to this player's uh, group. She's very attached to the newcomers, Sam and Kel. Um, and she really wants to be involved and on stage and stuff. But you learn about who she is through the way she talks about other characters and as she talks to other – as she emails other characters and then her points of view on them. But then you start to see other characters and what they say about her, right? Mm. Um, so what you are reading from her point of view is very different than what like Sam's opinion yeah. of her is different than what Izzy's opinion is. Because you're seeing it from the two different sides. I but love you, that though. That's yeah. like so witty and interesting because she's like, I'm this. And they're like, she's not that. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's a really clever approach. It is. So as far as like building characters, they're – so Sam and Kel, they do not have a point of view in this story. But I feel like I know them. I know them. Um, and uh, Izzy, I know. There's another character, Sarah Jane. Um, so she does a lot of the fundraising and stuff. So you get to see a lot of her. Uh, for, as far as developing characters, it's the most interesting way that I've seen it done. It was really, yeah. really interesting. Okay. So this was True Blue Mystery. And da, 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 da. I did actually, they have a couple of times, twice in the book, they have a list of 
uh, characters. So like a list of cast members. And then a little bit later, it's like, here's all the people that it could be the killer and why we think they could be the oh killer. Oh my god! Which I'm was really dead. helpful because I kept going back to the list of cast members. I'm like, wait, who is this in the book? Because they have their names and then they have the characters that they're playing in the play. So oh it's my like, gosh. Yeah. yeah take yeah, some yeah, notes yeah. along the way. <laughs> I know, right? But it is, it's so good. I like, I genuinely had no idea who the killer was or who even the victim was. I didn't even know who that was until it's revealed in the book, which is super cool. I, it, for me, I was like, this reminded me so much of like a Goosebumps, Nancy Drew, Sherlock Holmes, uh, Hercule Poirot. Oh, okay. Like, it is very much a classic mystery. Um, especially if you like a, like an Agatha Christie, you would really enjoy this. It's so, funny. It sounds like the people who would like the maid would like the appeal too, doesn't I it? I do. I think so. I do think so. It's very along the same lines. And it's it's much more cozy. It's not graphic at all. Um, the trigger warnings are childhood cancer. And even then, that's barely even touched on. And um, some illusions of sexual assault, again, barely even touched on. Um, so I feel like it's fairly safe for people. Uh, what worked for me was multimedia aspect and the good characterization, which I've already talked about. Um, it's just – it's so fascinating. It, I, I was just like, this is the coolest way to actually get to know characters that never once say a word on the page. It's just – Yeah, that's it's, interesting. Yeah. Um, so it was – I rated it uh, five stars and um, I said some of the similarities. I also thought Thursday Murder Club uh, would oh, be yeah. another good one and then and then there were none. Um, Love yeah, it. So Sounds great. The appeal by Janice Hallett. It's very difficult to describe. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it is very hard to describe, but it's super cool and very good. I mean, I think that was a good description, to be honest. I got a picture of it. Great, great. I can't wait. I saw that you got it. Um, you posted like a recent picture, and I was like, Yeah. Ooh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just read it. Got it. I mean, I got so excited. I literally read it in like six hours yesterday and was like, I'm I'm changing my book. I'm doing this one. <laughs> oh, nice. That's a great I sign, I feel, right? When you can binge something and really be invested the whole entire way through. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, that was uh, my book. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe that we are starting season two right now? What? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I believe that so you two excited. are amazing. You've been doing such a good job with this podcast. <laughs> I'm oh my gosh! At all. You. <laughs> well, we are. We're kind of like just out here doing whatever and hoping that people actually listen. That's our yeah. plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's working. Whatever you're doing is working. <laughs> oh well, that's oh, great. Good. That actually that feels good. Thank you. <laughs> you're this welcome. is going to be a really this is going to be a really good season, obviously, yes. starting out with this episode, but mm-hmm. we have some very exciting guests this season. Oh um, we're super excited to share them with you guys because it's going to be fun, but you have to listen because we've already been talking for an hour and 30 minutes and we can keep talking forever, but we're not going to. Yes, so, exactly. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We're so happy you guys were here. Have an amazing rest of your day slash night, whatever you're doing. Come back, rate, review, subscribe, you know. Yeah, all the things. And again, special thank you to Tessa for joining us today. And make sure you pick up The Kind to Kill out today. Thank you guys so much. Tessa, where can our followers find you on Instagram? Oh, oh, easy. It's just Tessa Wagert on Instagram and Twitter. And it's Tessa Wagert Books on Facebook. Perfect. And you can find me at Thriller Book Babe. And me at Olivia Day Writes on Instagram and Twitter. And if you are on Hive, which apparently is the new place to go, I'm over there too. It's a lot of it's a lot of spots. 
a lot of spots, but a lot of social media. Love it. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.